Hey there, you're listening to Past to Present, a social studies podcast by educators for you. We'll take a look at the middle school social studies standards taught in the state of Texas. Together, let's clarify some key concepts in history and think of ways to help students relate history to their everyday life. So this is past to present. That's right. And today's episode is going to be about reform movements. The most exciting unit of them all, right? Absolutely. It's my favorite. You know how that goes? Well, you say that about all of them. <laughs> but it's true. You it's just true. like you just like the curriculum, right? I do. It's it's fun in general. So uh, we apologize for the delay. We've been uh, we've had some things kick up here and there, and so yeah. we're just uh, trying to catch up where we can. Downhill ride to the end of the year here. Right. We're almost. I mean, we're through February. It's March. I know. It's crazy. Spring break is next week. Going anywhere? Um, no. I'm just hanging out. Yeah, same here. My husband was supposed to take off, but he got busy at work, so it's just me and the kid. My mom's going to come in town, so that'll be fun, but... Nice. Yeah. All right. Nothing crazy. We're, we're teachers. Nothing ever gets crazy, Recharge. Right? Recharge. <laughs> so, reform. Um, so... You wanted to talk about how, like, kind of the, the cause of reform, right? Yeah. I think that with students, that's a really good place to start is the big ticket items that caused the reform movement to happen because it causes them to go back on prior knowledge and refocus in on what was important and what they already know. So for our purposes, that means we're looking at the Second Great Awakening yeah. and kind of this idea of heaven on earth. We can create perfection on earth. We can create... Um, this idea that people can earn their salvation, right? Yeah. It's no more uh, of necessarily um, inaction and faith. Okay. Faith leads to action. You need to make the world better. Yeah. And that's kind of the idea behind the Second Great Awakening is you got to do something. Yeah. you got to actually take action. It's not good enough to just be a Christian. You have to actually do something to make the world a better place. Right. And so that's going to lead to reform, right? Absolutely. So uh, the next part you really wanted to talk about was transcendentalism. I always teach this as a cause because um, it's kind of like this movement. I don't know that it really has a lot to do with the Second Great Awakening and the religious activation, but it's more of just like this idea of becoming one with nature and getting to know your inner self. It's very philosophical. It's probably not historically accurate for me to compare it to this for kids, but I always tell them it's like the early version of hippies. So it's it's American Buddhism is what it is. American Buddhism. Yes. Okay, explain that. Well, a lot of the ideas of Buddhism are looking to self, looking inward, finding peace and uh, enlightenment through yourself. And through becoming one with nature, and right? And so being Americans, we had to make it ours and call it transcendentalism. But really, it's just Eastern religious philosophy or um, Buddhist philosophy. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Well, I always go back to that root word trans, which I teach mm-hmm. my kids, means across. And so you're like going across yourself and becoming one with nature. And once you know how you are in isolation from all the craziness of society— and how and what you believe, then you can decide what actions you need to take. So, are you a Thoreau fan? Are you a fan I'm a of huge, Walden? I'm a huge Henry David Thoreau fan. There's no way. Okay, so just for our listeners, we argue a lot. There's we have never discussed this, and I can't stand Thoreau. Why? Because he talks about how great it was to live on Walden, and he loved it so much that you know what he did? 
What? He left. Yeah, that's because he got what he needed from Walden. Uh, he didn't ever tell you that you had to stay there your entire life. But there's something to be said about just going and having peace and quiet and solitude and reflecting on what's important in life. And that's especially important in America at this time that we're studying because of the Industrial Revolution, which is cause number three for the reform. We may have to address this later <laughs> on. <laughs> Come on. I think, I'm, I think I'm starting to understand the trend here of what you like and don't like. What's that? I think that you don't like people who are idealistic. You are very pragmatic. Oh, absolutely. To a fault. Like my brother says I'm annoyingly logical sometimes. Yeah. And I, I recognize that. And so that. anyone who holds fast to dreams and holds fast <laughs> to ideals, just to quote Langston Hughes, is like an idiot in your book. That's my guess. No, I don't think that. I think um, I probably do go to one side too much. I, I do appreciate the idea of being out in nature and being out and becoming uh, – I, I am actually currently reading a book on Buddhism, and so I, I appreciate that stuff. I think I just um, maybe I don't like that people take credit for it and, and rename it, rename it, and then just kind of make it. They become famous because of it. I don't know if his intention was to become famous, though. And he's a writer. I mean, yeah, but he was just reflecting on his experience and sharing it. I mean, possible. All right. Anyways. Okay, so um, the Industrial Revolution is the third cause of the reform movements and probably the largest, second to largest cause. I think the Second Great Awakening is probably the most important impact. I think the Industrial Revolution is where your kids are going to see that make the greatest connection with this. Yeah. Um, they're going to have a hard time some of it with transcendentalism, but I think with Industrial Revolution they can see that because of the urbanization, because of the manufacturing piece, they're going to easily see the connections with these other movements. Yeah, and I think that that's something they can see in their own lives. Yeah. Of how urbanization has impacted them. And not only that, but you can tie social media in and what type of social mm. reforms could that cause to happen in our day in society. Like bullying, the bullying social reform is a huge movement right now that was non-existent when I was a child. Like bullying was barely a word. Um, and so I think that that's something that you can kind of relate to them and show like with technology and with change, there's going to be some negatives to that and society's going to respond. So and I think that's one thing to be open to and embracing this is with your kids is letting them make connections to today. And when they discuss something that maybe you're uncomfortable with or maybe somewhat controversial, keep it to the discussion about the change and the reform, not necessarily saying, their idea is wrong or their idea is valuable. It's just letting them have those conversations and tie it always back to change and, and social progress or, in some instances, the negatives that can come from it, the unintended consequences that bounce up. Right, and how society responds to those. So that's kind of leads us into the next portion of this, which is how do you engage kids in this unit? How do you get them connected? Because this used to be my least favorite unit to teach and I it's because I was doing it wrong and then once I started doing it a better way I'm not going to say right but I think it's right but <laughs> you're once say, I started say right. doing it right <laughs> the kids love this unit it's their favorite and I feel like it's the most impactful and so how do we get them engaged in this so kind of based off of some of your work you do the idea of having them look at two images of uh civil rights movement right, right. and so one image is um the organizers are arm-in-arm. Arm. They're well-dressed. They've got 
professionally made signs. They're getting ready to march. I think it even looks like it's on the Washington it is. Mall. It's, so we, I actually introduced this unit with totally different content. I do over the civil rights movement because right. I feel like my kids know that content and they understand that social reform. So we start with that, and it's one images of Martin Luther King Jr. and the March on Washington. Right. And then the other one is, it looks like a, a riot or some kind of yeah. unrest taking place in I the city. I need to get the actual citation for that because I don't know what it is of, but it is of a riot during the civil rights movement. And you kind of see two officers standing there and they're, you see the backs of them and, and they're looking on to this like riot in the street. Right. But and it's not super graphic because this is eighth grade. Well, and there's no need, you don't even have to use these images. Just no. one is a peaceful, organized image and one is not, it is more of a... Um, I hate the word organic, but it's just something that's violent. Yeah, and I picked those two images on purpose because I'm going to try and play off of the word civil disobedience. Okay. And so I'm trying to get students to think of the wide variety of ways that we can reform society, and we'll kind of get there in just a minute. But I'm poking at them to see the differences between the two different groups, the two different images, and how they're choosing to protest. And don't be afraid to use even, like, we rarely get to use uh, primary video sources in this this version of eighth grade mm-hmm. history. So you could find maybe uh, a video of two different types of protests, current protests that yeah. are going on, or even civil rights protests. Yeah, you could. I like that. So then you have them uh, do what with these two images? So then I have them do like an activity called screenshotting where they I actually print the image and it's on a big poster and they actually circle and analyze right there on mm-hmm. the image. Um, and they're able to compare and contrast the two right. visuals. And so it's just what they see. It's And then you get into the interpretation of it just a little bit, right? Right. And then I'm like, okay, so which image is of civil disobedience? Which image is not civil disobedience and why? And And then I say, okay, in these two images, both of these images are trying to achieve the same goal, but they're just going about it in a different way. And the goal of this is change. And so that's the word for this whole unit for me is change. So do you ever ask them which of the two types of protests are the most effective? Not until the end. Okay. Um, I like for them to kind of reflect on that because what we get to is different protests, different types of protests spring up based on the need, right? That's that's kind of the idea is when you're heard through non-action, through civil disobedience, through protest and, you know, non-violent action and your wants and needs are heard, then it goes away, right? And that solves the problem. But when it's not, and you feel that there's no other option but violence, that's when violence generally becomes an issue. And so I like for kids to kind of analyze that and think about that in their lives and what they see on the news today. Um, How can we avoid violence? And is violence necessary sometimes or proper? And I don't ever answer that question. I just like to pose questions for them and let them think about that. So then you move into the QSSSA kind yes. of portion of it where the kids answer three questions. Basically. Right. So if you've never done QSSSA, it's question, stem, signal for the kids to signal that they're done, share, so they share with the partner, and then assess. Make sure you spell assess right on the PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> Been there, done that. That's, anyway. Teacher nightmares, right? Absolutely. Um, so... <laughs> QSSSA, what you do is you just pose a question. The kids have time to silently reflect, answer the question. They share with the partner, and then you cold call out. So our first question is, why might someone want to make a change or make a reform or uh, follow a reform, right? So the kids, how would the kids go through that? I don't know. 
I mean, they just kind of, I let go wherever it's going to go. But they list, I tell, I tell them you can write in a paragraph format, you can list bullet points, whatever you want to do. But they list things. And I'm like, if I see them struggling, I try to poke them. I'm like, well, think about ways that you've seen change or whatever. So some of them talk about revolution. Some of them, oh, no, you're talking about why might someone. So, so they, put, oh, yeah. they put things like, um, oh, gosh, what do they put? They put? Well, you would start with the stem, right? And the stem could be someone might want to initiate change because, right. which is good for your ELLs. Yes. And kind of give the kids, they can go from there, right? Right. And they usually brainstorm ideas like something's unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, their rights have been violated. Uh, they aren't being heard. Kids will put things like they're do- being forced to do stuff they don't want to do. Um, they weren't listened to the first time. Sometimes they'll get real personal and be like they weren't paid their allowance when they were promised. Right. <laughs> so whatever they come up with, we just kind of brainstorm. But it'll it'll shock you what they come up with. Well, they, they really get will. unfairness. They, they, they get unfairness. Yeah. I mean, they're teenagers. Yes. Life in, in general is unfair. Especially for them because <sighs> it's awful. Right. Um, and then you move on to the, um, you know, the share with their partner. Um, and then your assess, is that just them talking with the class? And you Yeah, like I in? just cold call out. Because at that point, they should have had time to write, reflect, share. And now I cold call out. You can share your idea or your partner's idea. And then I just kind of plop it, all the answers up on the board. And we create like a big piece of chart paper. And I keep that chart paper for the whole unit so that we can constantly come back to it. Oh, okay. And then you move into your other questions are what are possible ways to make changes? Right. Um, and how does reform impact society? Um, things of that nature, right? Yep. You don't have to use those questions, but those are some of the ones that um, you found to be successful with, right? The, I, the idea here is that you're trying to get kids to think about change. Mm-hmm. And you, it doesn't have to be about the 1800s at all. It can be totally about everything that they see right now. And at the end of this conversation, I tell kids, okay, you've listed all these reasons why you might want to initiate change, what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what I'm going to teach you about is the first Americans ever who fought to make change in our country. Yeah, social change, right? And that's going to tie it all in for them. Yeah. And then we go on to, what's the next part? Well, then we kind of get into... We're going to talk about the um, – it's the uh, explain portion. No, I'm sorry, the engage portion, right? That was the engage, the explore. Oh, that's right. We're exploring. So next we want the kids to, like, grapple with the information yeah. without us actually direct teaching it to them. Um, what I do is a quote, reflect, and respond activity where the kids are given um, a quote and they read it. It's short, one from each of the five, I do five reform movements. Um, we talked, we're going to talk today about six because we're going to include labor. Um, but they get a quote from the reform and then they read it. They reflect on what they think about that point of view and then they respond to that person and they rank it. And the rank part's really important. They rank it based on how impactful that reform movement is on their daily life. Okay. So let me give you examples. Right. One of the reform movements is education. And I give a quote from Horace Mann, and it says something about every child should have the right to an equal education, including African Americans and women. And so the kids respond to that like they're talking to him. They write out to the side, yes, Horace Mann, I agree with you because everyone deserves to be treated equally or whatever. And then they rank how important that is in their daily life. Most kids are going to put a 10 
because they go to school every single day. But what's really crazy is when you get to temperance and when you get to women's rights and um, all of these things, you really learn a lot about your kids with what they write. Because I had kids who responded to temperance and the quote from the American Temperance Society, and they ranked that as a 10. And that means to them that, that they deal with alcohol consumption every single day in their life. And so at that point, they're really making that personal connection with this reform. So in your ranking, do they, can, do they rank them all 1 through 10, or can they rank them, let's say we've got six of them they have to rank, which one's the most important in their life? You could do it however you want. Okay. The way I did it, I wanted them to rank how each one of those impacted them on the daily. So if it impacts them every day, it's a 10. Most days, 9, down from there. Right. Okay. Um, just because I wanted them to see how impactful that movement was to them. So building that relevance piece again. Right. Okay. And to make that personal connection so that they want to learn about it. Okay. And so I think this is a good place to kind of talk about the movements okay. um, just so that we can clear up anything that might need to be discussed or whatnot. Um, you wanted to start with education? Yeah, I usually start with education. This is the one that I get the most pushback on. They get really mad about it and they hate coming to school and they, well, not really. They enjoy my class. I'm not trying to say they don't like my class. But they like your class way more than everybody else's class, right? That's right. Absolutely. hundred yeah. percent. No, I don't know. But they, um, they talk about the fact that they shouldn't be forced to go to school. But then a lot of them really do agree. But anyway, so Horace Mann starts the education reform movement and this movement is just to start opening public schools that are close to children so that they can get to them at this point it's mostly going to be white males who are going to be receiving free public education Mm -hmm. and he really is trying to get it to move westward as well with manifest destiny what am i missing well and it's kind of goes on to that second grade awakening idea that education can cure all ills Right. An educated population, kind of, and you can draw this back, and you can ask them which of the founders would most likely agree with Horace Mann's view. Mm. That's Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Um, he's can, the best one. He is the best one, right? <laughs> Clearly, uh, you could also say what region of the country might this have taken place in, and hopefully they say New England because of you know our previous unit on the colonial era. And well, talk- but a lot of a lot of kids might think that it's the South because. Kids in the South have more leisure time than kids in the North because a lot of kids in the North are working in factories. Right. So, well, what I'm saying, though, is you go back to that, – that would be a good argument, But you're right? talking about Puritans. Like, see if they can go back to the Puritan idea oh, yeah, yeah. Of, of reading the book. Where does – oh, you're talking about where does the idea from education – of everyone being able to have an education stem from? Yeah, where might it most likely yes, have taken okay. hold? Um, yeah. Just kind of bringing that past information and seeing how that goes with them. Um but again, it's it's really that idea that an educated population can make the world better. Yeah. And so from there, we move into temperance. And temperance is one that we don't – it wasn't a successful movement during this time. But um, – so I'm a nerd, and I was watching Ken Burns' Prohibition the other night. Stop. I know, right? Uh, nobody, you make fun of me. That's well, not even <laughs> – Well, my family was out of the house, so I was watching that. And um, – your wife's like, what do you do in your free time? And I watch temperance <laughs> videos. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So, um, but they were talking about how much, like, the Americans were drunks. Oh, they woke up drunk. Yes. Every single day. There were breaks for beer. Yes. Now, part of that was based on the water inside of cities was so bad that you would rather drink distilled alcohol, alcohol mm-hmm. than you would, you know, water out of a river. But it was a cultural thing. Like, I've read somewhere or heard somewhere that 
Americans out have outdrank the world yes. in their consumption of alcohol. It was a serious problem. Well, the, what's the first major or the first major rebellion after the Constitution? Whiskey was rebellion. The whiskey rebellion, right? It's and it's it really is bad. Like, and the kids these days don't understand how bad it was back no. then. And so, um, temperance movement is really. You can say it caused the women's rights movement, or you can say it's a product of the women's rights movement. It's kind of, they're kind of mingled together. But it was originally a a religious movement. Um, The first person that I've seen talk about was um, Lyman Beecher, Harriet Beecher Stowe's brother. And he went, he went to town railing on alcohol because some of his parishioners were dealing with the effects of alcoholism and whatnot. And so who deals with most of the side effects of alcoholism? Women. The time? Women and children. Yeah. And so the women really start to push the temperance movement. Doesn't gain a lot of ground. Um, some states do end up prohibiting it a little bit, um, but it's more of an agreement than it is a law uh, yeah. in some places. And then that's going to, and I like to tell kids, you're going to learn more about this when you go to high school. Well, and and I would, progressive era. And when you talk about, it, you can talk about unintended consequences. What was the unintended consequences of prohibition? Right. You know, and, and they get the idea of that. So, do you teach the word prohibition? Um, I just teach temperance. We talk like it's something we use. We do you talk teach about the amendment. No, we don't teach the amendment because it's not really something. Which we one is cover. it? Eighteen. Uh, it's the nineteenth. No, twentieth. Twentieth no. amendment. Are you sure? No. I think it's the 18th. I could be wrong. Obviously, I don't teach the amendment because I don't even know, know which one I it is. I need to Google it. But we, we just talk about how the United States will eventually. The 21st reverses it. I know that because so you're 21 when you can drink. So then it'd be 18th. Yeah. We, we just talk about how the United States will eventually prohibit the sale of alcohol. But that's kind of the same with women's rights. I mean, women's rights starts at this time period, but we don't actually ever get to the 19th no. Amendment. We teach it. We're like, oh, it you know, women got the right to vote in the 19th Amendment, but that's not anywhere close to where we end our curriculum. It's well, so weird. Well, and so this unit, and this is kind of off on a tangent, you can teach this as its own unit or you can teach it as you move through the year and just embed it in other pieces. Yeah. Um, it's prob- I teach it as a unit. But- and most people do because it's a little bit more organized, mm-hmm. but it's not – you know, chronologically, it's a little off. Well, if we did it chronologically, we wouldn't really get anywhere, you know. But anyway, so temperance, what else about that? Um, Do you teach the Lady Axe Annie or what's her name? No. I don't know her name, but. We don't, I mean, we talk about what it is and and what the purpose was and. Use that image of. The effect of it. Lips that have touched liquor shall not touch ours. Have you ever seen that? I've not seen that. It's like a picture of the women that were in charge of American Temperance Society, and it has that little saying on there. Yeah pretty cool interesting it's a good visual i believe the first um the first temperance organization was like called the washingtonians or something like that really yeah interesting not really if you're unless you're a nerd (laughs) (laughs) so move on to women's rights so women's rights kind of plays in with temperance but um we're gonna see two people really emerge well three but Mm -hmm. one gets looked over unfortunately but we're gonna go with elizabeth katie stanton who's the original I like to call her the OG of yeah. women's rights movement. And then Susan B. Anthony, who later takes it over and really finishes the journey there with the women's rights movement. Well, Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Isn't that who I said? I thought you said Susan B. Anthony. So Elizabeth Cady Stanton starts it, but doesn't she pass away before the 19th Amendment? Oh, yeah, 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 signed? yeah, yeah, yeah. Elizabeth Cady Stanton's... Elizabeth Cady Stanton is the one who starts it. I apologize. I'm like tripping right now. I'm <laughs> losing my mind. <laughs> 
Um, Susan B. Anthony is very young when this begins. Correct. And she is the one who takes over and carries the torch the remainder of the way to the 19th Amendment. The one who gets overlooked is Lucretia Mott. Bless her heart. She is a Quaker from Pennsylvania mm-hmm. who actually is the one who helped basically organize Seneca Falls Convention, which starts the ball, gets the ball rolling on the women's rights movement. Frederick Douglass is also a big supporter of women's rights movement. Um, well, and that's the thing about this. It's kind of hard. Women's rights kind of is, is spurred out of some of these, but also creates some of these. Right. So, I mean, really the big focus on the women's rights movement comes out of the abolitionist movement because they're not allowed to listen, you know, be heard. But then you have the temperance movement that's involved in it. The labor, I mean, they're all. Well, what, was it a story that you told me about them, like, going into, they got invited to some meeting. So the story is, is that there's the international uh, abolitionist meeting in London. And uh, a number of the American women show up. And they're not even allowed to enter the building. And then they go, all right, well, you can enter, but you have to sit in a special section. And they literally curtain them off. Mm-mm. That's how the story goes. Mm-mm. And so the women are not allowed to speak. They're not allowed to even be seen, for goodness sakes. And so they storm out. And uh, Frederick Douglass walks out with them. Uh, I believe uh, William Lord Garrison walks out with them as well. And kind of spurs on this more organized version of women's rights in America um, but again, like Frederick Douglass was in the temperance movement. Right. So like they're all very interconnected, but women really are some of the major players in this at the time. Definitely. And we teach the Seneca Falls Convention um, that we the kids have to know what the word suffrage means. Yes. Um, I also kind of like to talk about the difference between the abolition movement and the women's rights movement and the fact that the abolition movement – I don't know if you can say it didn't take as long because technically it was conceived when the Constitution was signed. But the women's rights movement really took a long time to really be enacted and to take place. But it also didn't create a civil war. And so I like to kind of when I come back to my three questions that I asked at the beginning of the unit to my kids, we talk about reform and when when does violence occur and at what point does that get heard and, and how, how are our diff- what are our different routes to making reform stick and be impactful? Right. So then we move into labor. That's not technically in the teaks. I know, but, but it's... you wanted to include it. Well, because... Well, probably because it was an old one. It's, um, I, I feel like that's taught more in sixth grade. Maybe. Really, it, it's more of a precursor. This comes out... This The, re- the reason I would lo- include labor is because it ties directly to the Industrial Revolution. Right. And the idea, and where does the labor movement come out of? It comes out of women who get tired of being paid poorly and they strike. Yeah. Or they threaten to strike or they do these, these they organize. Um, really inconsequential because you have all the immigrants coming in who, if you don't want the job, we've got somebody who yeah. we can give it to. But um, the labor the labor movement, while not a huge thing, gives the kids a chance to tie something directly from the Industrial Revolution. Revolution, And it's something they can still see now, right? Like the L.A. teacher strike mm-hmm. that just occurred. And unions up north, we don't know about that very much in Texas down here, but no. up north there are lots of unions. And so um, that is something that kids can consider th- there. And then we also have the prison and disabled. This one's my favorite. Right. Um, because I just think Dorothea Dix is such an amazing person. So add in what you need to add in. But the basic gist is, Dorothea Dix um, starts going into prisons and mental institutions. 
pretty much the same thing. Yeah. What do you mean? Well, the, oh, the, the, the mental, prisons and mental institutions yeah. are basically the same thing. Yeah, they're pretty much yeah. the same thing. Yeah. And you did like the amount of qualifications you had to have to be considered mentally ill was like none. Right. I mean, they could put you into a mentally ill institution. What do they call them? Asylums? Asylums. You could be put into an asylum for basically nothing, looking sideways at someone that just had power. So anyway, she goes in, she starts writing and documenting and noting everything that she sees. And she starts writing letters to the government and basically petitioning the government to start making changes in mental institutions. Um, it's a really interesting topic. And there's a really cool podcast I listened to the other day that was talking about, it's not appropriate for school, but it's cool for teachers. It was talking about the forced sterilization mm. of thousands of women and um, young ladies who were basically forced to be sterilized because they were not the same quality as other humans. So it's just a really cool topic to me. Yeah, that's the uh, the idea that um, it was made up, right? The yeah. story that, that they used to support that was made up. Yeah. Um, I forget the young lady's name, but she had a there I know. Was, I literally just listened to it. But oh, my short-term memory is failing me right now. It was fancy. Well, but it goes on to lead the things for like, uh, like Hitler's Hitler's policies, yeah. the uh, eugenics movement. Yes. Um, and it was like one doctor here in America that was leading it. But the the podcast is Hidden Brain. So if you want a link to that, just shoot me and give me a shout out on Twitter, and I'll send you the link to that. So then we move into the big one, abolition, which we kind of touched on a little bit, but. People are starting to recognize that slavery is an evil. Um, William Lloyd Garrison and his uh, newspaper, the same with Frederick Douglass, who are who are main uh, male advocates. And then you have also the, the ladies we discussed. You have the Grimke sisters uh, from South Carolina, which are powerful. Um, same thing with Harriet Beecher Stowe. Do you teach um, John Brown? As uh, with this unit. No. So if we talk about it earlier, like the question was, is violence ever appropriate? But it, I guess you could, or maybe you could readdress it later on. Um, that's a really good question. I've I don't never ever asked ask. That. So I don't ever ask, is violence appropriate? I probably said that, and I don't ask that. I ask, why does violence occur? Okay, that's a better question. So think about that. Like if they've tried other options and they're not being heard, then that's what leads to violence. That's why we need to listen to each other and try to empathize with each other, right? But So I do ask that question, but I, I'm interested if people teach John Brown. Do you teach John Brown this unit? I have not, but I might. That's a really good question. I know. He is an abolitionist. Like, he's the leading abolitionist. And he's a sociopath, too, so. Well... No. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But, I mean, he makes a lot of change for the United States and causes a lot of problems. Maybe he doesn't actually make change, but. So those are the big. Wait, wait. There's another one. Sojourner Truth. Yes. Harriet Tubman. But I don't really teach her until the Road to Civil War or sectionalism unit. Teach her in the Civil War and Road to the Civil War. Yeah. Um, But I do teach Sojourner Truth. Okay. So the good thing about so we didn't talk much about it, but the the Seneca Falls Convention. Yes. Do you have them read the Declaration of Sentiments? Yes. There's a history of live activity that we do, and it's actually like a Seneca Falls Convention simulation. Okay. And the kids get a fact sheet of women's rights today, 
and it compares like how much women make in jobs and how many congressional members. We probably need to update it because that thing's from 2014 and a lot has changed since then in the women's rights movement. But I posed the question at the beginning of the simulation and I asked the kids, men, I just put the word, the statement up there, men and women are equal. And I let them just hash it out. And they all first start out, oh yeah, yeah, men and women are equal. And then slowly they're debating and they're discussing and then slowly they're like, the guys chime in, they're like, no, they're not. And the girls are like, yeah, we're not. And it gets into a debate of which sex is better, right? And so it's kind of a Be fun. careful with that question. Well, you know what I mean. Which gender, which gender is better? But yeah, so um, that's a fun way to start it. And then we go into the Declaration of Sentiments. They read like an excerpt, and then they have to decide whether that issue has been redressed today or not by using the fact sheet that we give them. So when you ask them to read those parts, do you do you even tell them that it's based off the Declaration of Independence, or do you let them read and make those that make that? Um, connection themselves we compare and contrast them at the beginning but we really just talk about the def the difference between the two we, unfortunately we don't have a lot of time right. to like dig into the two documents and compare them but we do talk about like the fact that it's named after the declaration of independence and then talk about what the word sentiments means yeah but they get it it's not a hard transition and well that's probably one of the easier readings we yeah. do um and we were talking about this the other day again another little tangent we start off with the hardest readings at oh the gosh. beginning of our unit and maybe yeah. we've already said this before and the easier ones are at the end yeah it's so backwards it's, it's rough but it's the only way that you can do it i know but just there's got to be a better way teach it backwards teach it backwards I, I there are people out there who teach it backwards i believe it, it seems crazy to me but whatever well Hey, and if you teach it backwards, please let us know. That's cool, by the way, if you can do it. It is pretty cool. I want to know. Okay, so last piece to this puzzle is art and literature. And this is what we use to kind of like sum everything up. The teak on this is a little bit difficult. It says, identify examples of art, American art, music, and literature that reflect society in different eras. Describe developments in art, music, and literature that are unique to American culture, such as the Hudson River School artists, transcendentalism, and other cultural activities in the history of the United States. Well, do you mind if we go over the elaborate piece? Yeah, let's do it. Before we get to the art and literature, yeah. okay? We got a little excited. Okay, I'm sorry. No, I'm not, not, not. It's okay. Okay, what do you want to know about the elaborate? So the elaborate piece, this is where the kids make connections to today, right? For me, yes. And they go on to kind of create their own movement. Am I understanding yes. that right? So explain this lesson because... Okay, so I was struggling with this unit because it was good and... By the time we were done with all the activities I've kind of told you about, it was good. The kids liked it. It was good. But it didn't change anything for them. And I'm like, this is a unit about change. It should change something. So I decided to have them do a whoop. W-O-O-P. You can Google it. Go to whoopmylife.com. There's a template that I made. I stole a template online, and I made it my own. You just borrowed. I borrowed it and tweaked it. But um, basically, the kids get a wish. They have they write a wish. They have an outcome. They have obstacles that could get in their way, and then they have their plan to overcome those obstacles. So it's a template that basically they create their own reform movement. What do they want to see changed? I tell them it can be something as simple as Taco Tuesdays in the cafeteria, or it can be something as crazy and difficult as hashtag Black Lives Matter. Whatever they want. And then they whoop it out. 
and their whoop has to be extremely like detailed. And then I have them trade with kids. They give feedback. They discuss. They get into circles and do the whole thing. And then they go back and redo it again and submit it. They get excited about it? They do. What makes me sad, though, is like I don't have any follow through. And that's my struggle is like, what do I do next? Partner with an ELA teacher. About what, though? I don't want to just write about it. I want them to do it. That's part of it, right? Yeah. They could take the pieces of that and use that within their units of study. Maybe. It's an idea. I mean, it's, it's better. I mean, I'm just glad that we started doing the whoop. Right. You know? Um, but it's really fun. The kids really enjoy it. And I try to, like, as they're going, I walk around and I try to tie in their reform movements from the curriculum into what they're doing. So I used to challenge my kids to participate in civil disobedience. And what was funny was, is they go, all right, well, we, they, they, they always said this every year. The next test, we're not taking it. I was like, okay, but just understand, for the full experience, I have to give you the zero. <laughs> <laughs> and they, that, that kind of changed their um, mentality, mentality really quickly. I have seen campuses where the teacher guides the kids to, like, something on campus that is, quote, unquote, unfair for the kids. And admin was already going to make the change. And so they had the kids do a sit-in or have the kids do something to protest this policy. Oh, my God. My and admin, admin would be so mad. <laughs> well, but admin had already decided to make the change. The kids didn't know this. So they let the kids participate oh, I see, in it. I see. And then they go, we'll take it under advisement. And then they adjust it to it. it. That probably happens extremely rarely, uh, very rarely. But I bet we could set something up with admin to teach that in eighth grade. Right. And so it's it's um, it takes a lot of guts from the beginning of the um, yeah. Well, and it's terrifying too because what if they get an appetite for it? Yeah, <laughs> seriously, that's a real problem. And so, uh, and that was one of my fears about asking the kids to participate in civil disobedience. Um, you know, in the year of the layoffs, like two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In KDISD, we had layoffs. We had the layoffs due to the the budget issues and. Um, the kids, a lot of the kids walked out of the yeah, building. Yeah, they were upset. Perfect opportunity to talk about civil, civil disobedience. disobedience yeah. They thought, what do you mean? We weren't protesting. We were just partying with everybody else. Yeah. But, um, you know, if you can be creative like that and you've got the guts to pull it off, Well, that's the thing. I tell my kids, first of all, their whoop has to be civil disobedience. Right. It cannot describe any type of violence. No. Because that's a threat, and I have to turn that into the police. Yes. And so I tell them that. from the. I'm very open and honest. Don't forget to mention that. Um, but I don't know. I just, I really enjoy this unit. I think it's fun for the kids to practice their civil yeah. disobedience. But kids don't understand that civil disobedience is used to petition something that is genuinely unjust. Right. Me not letting you wear headphones while I'm teaching is not unjust. <laughs> According to you, the man. Oh, my gosh. You're so dramatic. <laughs> you know what? You're going to be back in the classroom next year, and you will be the man again, and you'll see You'll see how it feels. I am going back in the classroom, by the way. But, yeah. I, the look on my face when I just said that, I was like, <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to have to edit this out. No, it's good. Um, I will be the department chair at Adams, which is awesome. I've never opened a school. That's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. Are you going to be physically opening it, like the doors? <laughs> You're not very good at being me. <laughs> that was a funny joke. That is a dad joke. A bad <laughs> dad joke. What can I say? 
All right, well, let's move on from there. Okay, so... So the excitement part, so they do the whoop. Is there anything you have them do after that? We just evaluate them, and we do before and after scenes. Okay. And they do individual before and after scenes. For pre-AP, I let them do life-size paper dolls. So they each get to pick a reformer, and they have to lay down on the ground on paper, and they have to draw it out, and they have to draw symbolic items all over the person's body to represent the things that they did. Fantastic. Yeah, it's fun. All right. Um, and so now on to our art and literature oh, piece. I'm allowed to move to art and literature now? You were allowed to a while ago. <laughs> I just asked if you would like to talk about the... Okay. Art and literature is always was always a struggle for me. By the way, we actually like each other. Well... <laughs> Most yeah, days. we do, we do, we do. So, okay, so art and literature. I always struggle with this because I always just threw it at the end as like, well, memorize these people. Well, because it's it's not chronological. It's something we just throw in there because we've got to get it covered. And, um, yeah, it's usually an afterthought. It's usually an afterthought. But there's a way to approach this, I think. The right way? The right way. The right My way. My way. <laughs> You'll learn. So, okay, so the way that I do this at the end of the reform unit is I get the different pieces of art and literature that I want my kids to know. So, like, a couple of images from the Hudson River School, Hudson River Valley Schools. Am I saying that right? Yes. Okay. And then, you know, some reading passages from the different literature, Harriet Beecher Stowe, maybe a picture of Uncle Tom's Cabin and a summary of that. And then what I have them do is I have them go around and decide which reform inspired it or was impacted by it and why. Okay. So do you have some examples of um, literature that matches some of those those movements? So like for Harriet Beecher Stowe, we would use her Uncle Tom's Cabin to match with... Abolition. Abolition. It doesn't have to be perfect. Okay. So like Walden... I would put a, an excerpt from Walden on there. They can pick whatever reform movement it is as long as they can identify that it's transcendentalism and that it inspires people to take action, right? Okay. You would want to do something from the Second Great Awakening. This is where you come back to those causes. And the Hudson River Schools, we kind of also tie in Manifest Destiny because the kids will look at it and be like, that's Manifest Destiny. And I'm like, you're right. It is. What does it have to do with? Oh, education, because we're learning, we're growing, we're wanting to improve. We're, it's all about progress. Um, so the, so you're just listening to reasoning more than anything. Right. Not necessarily a direct link to something. Okay, right. fantastic. Okay. That's it. Um, what do you think? I like that. I, I, so one of the things I did on literature sometimes, because I know we used to have to teach the, the you know the big um, American writers. So this, the, the art and literature unit is really about America developing its own type of art. Is it a unit, though? Because I feel like it's a day. Maybe it's a day. Okay, keep going. And so it's about America creating its own type of art. Right. And so, you know, the Hudson River Schools, America doesn't have the cathedrals and the coliseums and the great big cities, but what does it have? It has landscapes and plenty of landscapes. And so that's, you know, the definition of early American art, uh, popular art. Um, Same thing with, like, Audubon, who will not be a teat next year, we found out today. That's very sad. You're very sad about that? No, no, not really at all. But the idea that, you know, we have wildlife and the idea of, um, you know, using what was around them, that's what they painted. Yeah. Um, but Well, it really describes the American culture. Right. And the American experience and what made us unique compared to European countries. Yeah, we don't have the cathedrals. We have the mountains. Right. We have the Great Plains. We have the buffalo. We have things like that. And so the same thing with art. The literature part was always kind of difficult. And so I tried to come up with find the themes 
of certain pieces of literature mm-hmm. and get kids to make connections. So Rip Van Winkle, you know, I would just tell him, hey, you know, he falls asleep and he wakes up and the world's completely different. What pop culture matches that? And that would right. be Captain America or The Walking Dead. And that's kind of the thing is you really want them to make the connection of how does art and literature not only reflect society's values, mm-hmm. but also change society's values. And so once they kind of look at this, you want them to reflect on their own experience with art and literature. What art and literature do they have that defines them? And how does that show what they value? Right. And I think that would be kind of a cool little like homework assignment for the kids to come up with a collage of art and rap lyrics and different poems that have stuck out to them that they feel really represent society today and their culture that they see every day and then kind of talk about well, how does that show the reform and the changes that are important to you? And I, and I do think that's something that, I mean, you could teach a whole, it would be awesome to teach just, you know, like one section of um, the history of culture or pop culture in Yeah, America. that would be cool. And, I thought and, you were about to say a whole semester on just art and literature, and I was like, that's ELA. Right, no. No. But I just pop culture. And, and, yeah, and pop culture would be cool. Starting with the early American writers and then moving through, um, you know, jazz and rock and roll and rap. And yeah. I, I dig that stuff. Yeah, it's cool. And the kids well, would love it. Well, that's why it's fun for to take 10 minutes or whatever and make your little collage and then we share with groups. We go and we do a think, pair, share, or we do a quiz, quiz, trade mm-hmm. where the kids get up and look at each other's things and, or look at each other's um, collages that they made and talk about how do you feel – art and literature today impact you so well and that's i mean i used to love when we did the slavery unit talking about the mississippi river and its impact on art and culture you know with jazz music being primarily on that and from there you get rock and roll based off of the mississippi river Hmm. and um you know coming off rock and roll you get that mix with rap and you know i mean the kids ate that up yeah and finding a way to they don't think of those things as history they don't think of those things as something that can be impacted by geography but it is. Music is, is very geographical in nature. For sure. Definitely. All right. This unit is fun. You thought we weren't going to be able to do a whole podcast, and here we are, 45 minutes in. Yeah, and if you hung in for 45 minutes on Props reform, props to you. <laughs> <props> <laughs> to you. Um, we look like we're going to try to record in the next couple of weeks again on um, the causes of the Civil War. That's right. And then move into Civil War and Reconstruction as well. Sounds like fun. We're starting to kind of brainstorm ideas for what we want to do with this podcast next year. So if there's anything you've enjoyed about this or you want to keep hearing next year um, or something you think would be a good idea, give us a shout out on Twitter and let us know what you think. Yeah, please share with your friends. Give, us, give us those reviews on iTunes and uh, this Apple, pod- pod- Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. Let, you know, let us uh, get those stars so that we can move up and... Um, I don't know what happens when we move up, but we would just move up, right? No, no. I just did that out loud. You did just do that out loud. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you all. Bye. Hey there, thanks for listening to our podcast. Join in the discussion on Twitter using the hashtag pasttopresentpod or tweet us at, at pasttopresentpod. That's past the number two present pod. 
If you have a minute, please consider helping other educators find our show by sharing our podcast on Twitter or giving us a review on iTunes or Podbean. Special thanks to all those who helped develop the content for today's episode. Audio mixing for this episode done by Lindsay Stevens and music credit to bensound.com. All thoughts and ideas expressed in today's episode are that of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs of KDISD.